And this is We Should Know That, a podcast to help people like us who struggle with knowledge of basic history. Well, this is our very first podcast, and today we're going to cover Chernobyl. Yes. And there are two reasons why we chose Chernobyl as our first topic. Um, the first is because it happened in the Ukraine, which has been clearly all over the news for the past few months. And the Russians actually seized Chernobyl way back in February in the beginning of the Ukrainian invasion. And the Chernobyl power station was was overtaken and people were freaking out. And maybe you don't know why people were freaking out or you kind of know. But the second reason we chose it is because this incident specifically is what sparked our need to take ownership of our complete lack of knowledge and better ourselves by learning about important things that we probably should have learned in childhood. I think most well, people learned <laughs> at an age-appropriate time. More people like us than we realize. Yeah, and it's never too late. To give you a little history, it was around the 20 year anniversary of Chernobyl. So it was like 2006 and there were a lot of specials coming out and, you know, people were talking about, Oh, I can't believe it's been 20 whole years since this crazy disaster. And, and then people were talking about how they were worried it was going to happen again. Well, my husband, he grew up in Eastern Europe and he told me about how horrible it was and how he remembers not being allowed to eat vegetables and how his grandfather died of cancer that they think was from Chernobyl. And he is telling me all of these awful things and I'm staring at him completely blankly, like eyes wide, deer in the headlights. And I realize that he thinks I know what's going on. Because <laughs> you should tell him right away that I had no idea. So I snuck away and I called you and asked if you knew anything about Chernobyl. And right. I had no clue. I had never heard of it. And I actually very embarrassingly was with someone. I went, Hey, have you ever heard of this? And they looked at me and said, Yeah, yes. Yes. Like everybody had, and like yes, you're so an idiot. My husband was very disappointed in me and we were pretty saddened with ourselves. <laughs> I think <laughs> like, we were four when it happened, right? So I don't know. We just, we didn't know and nobody told us. And we, right. And we, well, it just history class, about it. Yeah. When would you learn about really this bad. thing? Um, that we didn't know. And so I watched at the time I watched all the specials and all the movies and I was like totally absorbed in Chernobyl. And now we've kind of realized that we can't be the only two people in the world that didn't know about this incident. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just don't want anyone to feel that way when they're like, Oh my God, the Russians took over Chernobyl. You just sit there and you'd be like, mm-hmm. 
Oh my God. That's what is that? Terrible. Yes. So for you, yes. this podcast is for you. Should we get into it or should we like should we get into fluff it? a little bit? Like, or should we just like dive right in? Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll just, we'll just go we right just in. Do it. You guys are ready. We're just going to hit you. We're going to do With it. All I don't the know what else we would, we would do. Take it or leave it. Yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. 1986. Picture it. Again, we were four. I don't really remember all that much. There's big hair. I do remember some Aquanet in my bangs. Yes. Everyone had bangs. Mm-hmm. You had to have bangs. Well, except for me, because my dad took me to a barber to get my hair cut. And so I looked like a little boy until I was about 10. <laughs> but then the sweatsuits, don't forget. The 80s sweatsuits. My mom dressed me in sweatsuits because they figured I didn't need real clothes. Anyway, this is not a therapy podcast. That's <laughs> going to discuss all of my issues on the first day. Not on day so, one. Not on that'll day happen one. as we go. So we're in the Ukraine, which at this point in history is part of the Soviet Union. If you don't know what the Soviet Union are, is you're not alone. It was a union of 15 countries, including Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, some other ones. And they all combined under one single party and was the first country to declare itself socialist and work towards a communist way of life. So that sounds great, right? (laughs) But uh, I mean, we can make a whole podcast (laughs) out of Soviet Union and communism, and we can. You can email us and let us know if that really fascinates you. But oh, we yeah, don't want to get do totally. That. We don't want to get totally sidetracked into the politics of there right. And all of that. Correct. But so basically, when you have one governing party taking control over all of these many countries, you know, maybe there's a little bit of how would you say propaganda <laughs> or group thing trying to trying to maintain your power so i don't know anyway basically the general population was not always informed about things that were happening in their own government control in their country right control and again we could make this a whole polit- a whole discussion about right but we many are places. not politicians we don't know but we're not getting into politics nope I'm just giving you a little, uh, what's the word? A tone. A tone, a yes. A tone of what the Soviet Union felt like. <laughs> On April 26th of 1986, the worst nuclear accident in history occurred at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Um, the accident was rated the maximal level, which is a seven, on the international lu- nuclear event scale. Right. So I feel like it should go to 10. I know. Don't you think isn't seven so such a random number? Maybe they're just saving it so that when there is something worse, they can bump it up. Ooh. Scary. Go to 10? Yeah. Oh. I don't well, know. I just thought I freaked out. That's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it goes to seven. Seven. Seven is the top of the international. I don't know who decided seven. Uh-huh. Somebody important decided seven. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it happened during a safety test 
And due to poor training of the staff, um, serious design fails, uh, of course, Soviet Union, as we kind of went into, there was an uncontrolled nuclear meltdown, which occurred and released enormous amounts of radioactive energy into the atmosphere for nine days. It's a long time. Doesn't sound like it, but it would feel like it. It would feel like a long time. (laughs) Well, so if you're like me, you're probably wondering, how the heck does a nuclear reactor work? Well, I reached out to a physicist I know and asked exactly that question. Does it work? And then how does it melt down? Just ask you for a quick explanation. Well, I received back a four paragraph long document. So I tried to condense it to make it a little more um, you know, easier to understand. Oh. Palatable. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yes. Oh. Yes. And I was like, I don't know. Does that sound dumb? Anyway. No. This all sounds dumb. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody's listening. Um, so anyway, so first thing, a nuclear reactor creates energy by heating up water, which becomes steam, which then turns a power generator. So keeping these going, it's a careful balance between creating that heat but not creating too much heat to cause a meltdown. So it works on the premise that some materials are radioactive, meaning they are unstable on a molecular level. So the unstable neutrons are ejected from an atom and hit another atom, which then ejects another neutron and causes that to decay. So hence a chain reaction takes place. Then as it decays, radiation and heat is produced. So the heat created is so large, it melts everything around it. So the process can be controlled by surrounding this with materials that soak up those neutrons. Uh, They're called control rods. And if that process is not controlled, then the reactor melts down. Uh, And this is a quote. This can lead to scary scenarios beyond meltdown, like hydrogen gas buildup, which then exploded and rains down radioactive material in the surrounding area. Well, oh, yeah, which we'll, we'll get to that. So at Chernobyl, Chernobyl melted through the floor and coated the basement in radioactive lava, which I think when you look at the pictures, I think that creates what is what called the, the elephant's foot. So. Yeah, I think that, so the rods yes. and everything melt, and then they kind of seeped through the floor, right. right, to the bottom, so they're like drippy little lava-y, gooey things, and they created this big blob, which looks like an elephant's foot, which is the most radioactive point of this meltdown. Like, that's where, if you go up, you don't want to be near the elephant's foot. I mean, you don't want to be near any of it. No, but it's <laughs> terrifying. Definitely the elephant's foot. So here is what happened on that day. Uh, April 26, 1986 was a Saturday and the night shift started around midnight. And um, the shift was going to involve a continuation of a test that started 12 hours earlier. And it was a test to uh, test the ability to keep reactive Reactor number four, cool in the event of a power failure. So that's what they were testing. 
Um, so at 1230, the foreman and the engineer uh, kind of argued about what the how low the par- power could be. So since the engineer outranked the foreman, he won that debate and they brought it down lower to what you know the foreman thought it should be, what he thought was safe. So at 120, another engineer blocked the shutdown due to a low water level, and then he raised the power. And for whatever we, I don't, so he removed all but six control rods. Um, How do I, I think it's like 200-ish. Do you know? I I don't know. I didn't, I couldn't find an exact number. Um, But as we know, the control rods keep that chain reaction from going out of control. So the reactor grew unstable. The reactor's temp reached 4,650 degrees Celsius, which is almost as hot as the surface of the sun, which is Hmm. insane. It's too hot. (laughs) I can't think of any situation where that would be an okay temperature for things. No, being at the surface of the sun, no. Um, So once this happened, the foreman pressed a button to reinsert those control rods, but they jammed and they didn't drop far enough. So once that happened, there was an explosion that lift a 1,000 ton concrete shield off and then wedged it at an angle. And so air from the atmosphere reached the reactor and produced hydrogen hydrogen gas and it exploded okay so an alarm sounded and the first firemen rushed the reactor and they all not all of it they climbed up on the roof and two of the staff members entered the reactor reactor to try to bring water to cool it down everyone was just trying to cool this reactor try to get rid of a fire put it put it out a fire Um, The staff members that entered the reactor to cool it down died two weeks later. And one of them said that his conscience hurt more than his injuries, which is so heartbreaking. Well, and I think it should be noted, too, that. So there have been since this incident, it's been noted that this particular type of nuclear reactor is known for its flawed. plan. Like it's not, What's not it? all nuclear reactors are built this way. Right. Right. So this particular type that they built in the Soviet union, you know, cutting some corners, maybe saving some costs, yeah. thinking that they know how to do things the best. Maybe, I don't know. I'm speculating. <laughs> right. um, maybe shouldn't do- they, double checked. They built these types of reactors that really weren't being used in other parts of the world. And so what happened, although it was some of fault of the employees clearly it was also faulty mechanisms in this reactor causing these things to happen right and it was it was poor training it wasn't their fault personally it was they didn't know what they were doing because no one taught them how to do it everyone just sort of and it was the night shift everyone just sort of put them in there and said go for it here's a here's a manual they show that in some of the like shows and things you can watch about Chernobyl that they actually pulled out the manual and like Homer Simpson style were just flipping <laughs> through it, trying to figure out how do we run this test and how do we shut things down? And, you know, so that's, you never want 
people in charge of something like that to have to look at a manual. No, like to think that they would know. Serious, serious thing. But it's not all the people's fault. I just don't want people to be like either a mad at the employees or b like freaking out that this is going to happen. Oh right, right. Their local nuclear reactor. No, yeah, this isn't something that just happens. Right. Okay. So sorry, I didn't mean to digress. But so the explosion happens. Causes a big fire. People are so people firemen are, show up. Yes, firemen show up, and then at eight p.m., citizens of Pripyat. Yes, that's a city that's the nearest city to the Chernobyl reactor. It's am I can pronounce it Pripyat? Pre Pripyat? Well, Pripyat? <laughs> I think it's Pripyat. Pripyat. But oh yeah, ne- neither of us are experts on Eastern or Eastern languages, so I apologize. Russian? For our no. Horrible pronunciation of many things. Oh yeah, no, we're not going to get that. My husband can pronounce it perfectly, and then he's like, "Say it," and I'm like, "I did." He's like, no, you didn't. So you mean you didn't? I sounded just like you. No, <laughs> nope. So that city. Pripyat, that's what we'll call it. Um, So the citizens gathered on a bridge to watch the, quote, beautiful colors, which was was from the graphite burning. And so no one on that bridge survived, and the bridge is now called the Bridge of Death. What a lovely name. Sad. Well, and I think, too, some didn't even know that this was a nuclear reactor. Some people thought it was like a water plant. And then the people that did know it was nuclear, this is the 80s. Nobody really knew what that meant. Right. Especially in a society where maybe things aren't being told to you 100%. So it's not like there was this big explosion and everyone realized that they should leave. Everyone's just like, oh, there's a fire at the local. Right. The the power station. Yeah. The firemen will put it out and it'll be fine. Right. No one knew. they No one knew the severity of what that meant at the time. All right. So 10 a.m. the next day, the helicopter flights began and they flew over and they dropped sand, lead, clay and boron into the reactor. But none of it actually reached the core. Um, And if you if you read about this, if you heard different things about it, you know, they they talk about this as they knew it was a suicide mission, but they went anyway because they wanted to help. They wanted to save their community. And some people who were liquidators, that's what they called them, were shipped in from surrounding areas and weren't exactly told what they were going to do Mm -hmm. and weren't exactly asked like, hey, you want to help come clean this up? It was kind of more like, get on this bus and we're going to drive you to Chernobyl to help us out. So so you weren't really given much of a choice. No. Well, people were military and yes, not given a choice. I didn't know. So, but to be fair, if somebody had done that to me, I probably would have just been Mm -mm. like, I would have gotten there and I would have been like, I have to go to the bathroom. Like, (laughs) can I get a snack first? I would find every possible way to not do what they're asking me to do. Yes. (laughs) And so these people are clearly much braver than I because they... Actually oh, went absolutely and did the things that needed to be done, even knowing that they could get sick or die or whatever. 
All right. So while these liquidators are, the firemen have put out the fire, the liquidators are trying to neutralize the core by dropping things on it. And so while all that's happening, the government realizes that they need to get the citizens out. So the town of Pripyat uh, was told, grab only necessary documents and personal belongings and were forced to evacuate their homes about 36 hours after the explosion. But you think about it, that explosion happened at night. They weren't told until the next day. So about 12 to 15 hours of that went away just in sleeping and not knowing about it. So you maybe right. had less than 24 hours to get whatever you needed and get out. Oh, yeah. Um, and they were put on buses and sent to larger cities outside the exclusion zone, which the exclusion zone is the area that they thought was considered to be affected by the radiation cloud. So there was no room on these buses because they were full of people to bring your five suitcases of shoes like some people do when they go away on a weekend. <laughs> you were able to grab a couple of things and leave. And they also told people that they would probably return soon. They were like, no problem. We'll clean this up. You'll get to come home. So people left their pets and they left behind, you know, kids left their toys. They left behind, left behind things that were really, they wouldn't have had they known that they would never be coming back. Right. Right. Um, and is this right? It says 350,000 people were evacuated. I've read multiple things. Um, that was one figure I found. But a lot of people in a very short amount of time. Short amount of time. Yes. Busting everybody out. In a very unorganized, sporadic manner. Yeah. Terrible. And they were sent to cities where these cities didn't have anywhere for these people to go. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have homes. Um, they didn't have any of their things. So it was a very stressful time. And some of them were sick from this radiation cloud that they'd just been exposed to for right. 36 hours. I read the book, uh, Voices of Chernobyl, which is really, really good. And it gives a really good um, people's own stories. People tell their stories in their own words. And they talk about what happened to them and how what they did and who, what part they played in this whole thing. And it is military people, the people that live there. It is really, it made me cry the whole time reading it because oh. it was terrible. These poor people, like you said, they just get pulled out of their homes. They have to leave. They leave their cats inside because they don't know they're coming back. It's fine. Right. And you got to be in the right mood to read that book. I think you got to be like ready. You really do. But it's, it's very good. It's very good. You're going to cry. Okay. But it's very good. For the next several days, the liquidators, which we've been kind of talking about, the firefighters, civil and military personnel, transportation personnel, the miners, construction, uh, robots. It was a huge operation. So they continued to clean up the mess. They dug massive tunnels under the facility and dumped concrete in there. They swept debris off the roof of the other reactors so they wouldn't collapse. They're all credited with limiting the immediate and long-term damage. The liquidators face an impossible situation 
the radiation readings were wildly inaccurate at the time. In reality, they were exposed to about 500 lethal doses an hour of radiation an hour. Unprotected, as I think most of them were, um, they were exposed to an equivalent of 80,000 to 160,000 x-rays per hour. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, kind of what you're saying here, I think it's important to note. So we didn't really say this before, but there are four reactors at this site. So reactor four is the one that explodes, right? Big boom, concrete's flying in the air, debris everywhere. All of that debris lands on other reactors, heavy stuff. And so now they're worried that all of this debris is going to cause the other reactors, the ceilings to collapse, things to happen. So they have to make sure that these other three reactors don't blow because then, you know, clearly that's an even bigger problem. So there's a lot at play here. It's not even just about controlling this particular meltdown. It's about keeping everything else from completely falling apart. Even more so than it already was. Than it already is, yeah. Oh, and they didn't have, because again, they didn't plan for this, right? It's very unprepared. And, you know, unfortunately we learn things usually by something bad happening. And then we're like, oh, we should have done that. And then we know. So these they didn't have enough protective gear for all of these guys. Well, they just thought it was impossible. They thought there's right. no possible way that something like this could happen. Right. So these guys are going in, like they show in the videos, the miners who are digging underneath the reactor to try to get water and concrete down there to cool it down and contain it. They were naked. Like they were not wearing any clothes because A, it's a, billion degrees down there like it said surface of the sun so you're boiling hot as you're digging these holes and they didn't have protective gear anyway so they're like well screw it we might as well just try to make ourselves as comfortable as we can and i can't even imagine being underneath a nuclear reactor core with no nothing nothing and they're you're just shoveling things out it just is it's unbelievable to me Yeah. And then I think the guys that were sweeping off the roof, they're sweeping off the debris. The radiation was so strong that they could only work for a couple minutes before they would start to feel dizzy and sick and nauseous. So it's not like you could go up there and work for eight hours. Like you could maybe work for 10 minutes and then you feel like you're going to pass out. So they move you out of the way and put somebody else in. And so it's right. When you start vomiting, they just move you to the side. Yeah. And then they're like, you rest for five minutes and then we'll get you back in. (laughs) just come on back oh yeah so i watched the the hbo special which everyone should watch the hbo show called chernobyl is amazing it's so good it's just so good but i also watched i went on youtube and i found um split screen of the hbo show and the actual footage from chernobyl and it is, it is so accurate. It's like the exact same picture. Just they did such a good job capturing exactly what happened. And it's so scary that you can't believe it's real. Yeah. Okay. So now we're on. So on Monday mon- the twenty yeah. eighth. So on Monday the twenty eighth, radiation was detected in Sweden. So I think. It started kind of coming around. Other countries started to realize something's happening. Maybe there's an issue. 
On Tuesday, a U.S. satellite showed the roof blown off and a glowing mass inside the reactor. But keep in mind, the Soviet Union has not reported that this has happened. Oh, yeah. They keep saying that it's all under control. Well, even before that, they didn't even talk about it at all. So there's this big explosion, which creates a radiation cloud that then wind carries for hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of miles, right? So this affects a lot of people. But Soviet Union was just like, we're just going to, we're just not going to talk about it and hope that nobody (laughs) realizes that this is going on. And so then in Sweden, they detect this high level of radiation in the air because they see this like ash floating through the air. And they're like, where could this come from? <laughs> so, you know, like smart science people, smart science like, people. Myse- like myself, mm-hmm. we're yes. able to determine what type of radiation this is right. and where based on wind patterns, like where it could be coming from. It's they had to figure it out because nobody was. Because no one told them. Yeah. anything. Polish authorities began distributing uh, potassium iodine tablets to children. So these pills counteract some forms of radiation, but not all. I think I did read somewhere that they were recently handed out in Ukraine uh, in February when all of this was happening. As a precaution, I'm sure. Yes, as a precaution. But I'm not 100% sure on that. I did read it one place, but I didn't follow up, which I should have now. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So on Friday, two floors directly beneath the reactor filled with water from the water of the firefighters. Uh, Engineers volunteered to empty the pool and they were successful, but they all died of radiation. And I'm trying to remember why they needed to empty the pool. Is it because the water will heat and create more steam and create more of a Reaction? Uh, Because it would go down into the earth. Ah. They were worried of it going to the earth and doing something that is called the China syndrome, which I think was coined when it happened at Three Mile Island, uh, meaning like it's going to melt through the earth to China, right? (laughs) I don't know. It was the 80s, right? Like when they used to tell you, dig a hole to China. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. Okay. Dig a hole to China. <laughs> that doesn't sound like we should, that sounds like we should change that name. <laughs> I, I almost don't believe it. So again, we should look this up. We should also look this up because I read it and I went, what? But then I watched Three Mile Island and they were talking about it and I went, maybe it is a thing. Well, okay. <laughs> so in order to do that, they had to empty the water and then the miners brought in to fill it all with concrete um, okay. I guess successful. If that radiation good. gets into the ground, then it'll get into the groundwater, which will then spread and create all sorts of problems. And it would be worse. Yeah. On May 6th, the schools were closed and they relocated children um, and they warned people not to eat vegetables. And then in December, they built a massive concrete structure to try and contain the radiation from continually continuing to vent control, uncontrollably. This is called the sarcophagus. Yes. So again, a something that was built very haphazardly. Nobody really knew what to do, but they knew that they had to contain this cloud that just kept going. And think about this is December. So this cloud has been 
blowing out from the months April to December. So they have to build something quick. So they build it out of concrete. So they just built it and it covered it and it worked and it kind of put a bandaid on the situation, at least for a little while. So they were hoping this kind of like help the situation for at least in the short term. When all was said and done, 70% of the fallout was landed in Belarus. So a lot of the issues, the health issues are happening there. Uh, Let's see. The emergency response and decontamination involved 500,000 personnel and cost $68 billion. So that's adjusted for inflation, but that might be $2,006. So it's probably even more now. Um, and the it has been estimated that the city of Pripyat won't be habitable for 20,000 years. 20,000 years. Well, but we've, we're about 30 years into that. So well, yeah, it's close. Know. We're getting there. We're almost, we're almost done. <laughs> Time to buy some land. So the other thing to mention about the sarcophagus. So at this, the 20 year anniversary, which was 2006, they were talking a lot about the sarcophagus, this concrete sarcophagus. And the problem was the way it was built, it was starting to build up water, which makes concrete crumble, it was starting to crack, and it wasn't built super airtight either. So there were parts where the bolts were that were creating leaks. And so they were worried, they knew that the sarcophagus was going to collapse at some point. It just couldn't sustain. So they needed to build a new sarcophagus, which was going to cost a lot of money, Um, but they did. And so they were having all of these news media coverage. They needed to raise money. They needed people to help them design the new sarcophagus. And it's pretty cool the way that they did it because they also couldn't break down. They can't just like tear down the old one because then all the radiation will start leaking. So they had to build an entire sarcophagus and slide it, they put it on these rails and slid this massive structure over the current structure so that once the concrete collapses on the inside, or then they sent cranes into the inside to collapse the structure. Wow, I didn't know. Because people can't go in there. So like robots and cranes went in there to break down the concrete because you don't want it to collapse too and cause more damage. Right. So now the radiation can release into this new sarcophagus, which is very fancy and actually kind of pretty. If you look it up, it's like this dome-like structure and it's much more secure, but it's still not going to last forever. It's, I think they say, they think it'll last for another hundred years or so before they have to rebuild another one because it's just so damaging. The radiation. Yeah. So, um, but they did build a new one, so it's secure. So the idea of another explosion or incident is not going to happen anytime soon. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) But the people of course could not go back to their homes. The area is still a ghost town that the Pripyat area and the exclusion zone. Um, A lot of the forest. It's interesting. The trees turned bright red and then died. So it was now called the red forest. So there's all these like, red tree stumps and stuff. It's kind of cool. I mean, not cool, but you know what I mean? It looks interesting. You don't see that everywhere. It's interesting. Um, you know, lots, lots of animals were affected, plant life. 
So in this exclusion zone, nobody is supposed to be living, but there are people there now. So it's estimated that about 130 to 150 people live in the exclusion zone today, even though it's technically illegal to do so, but I don't really think the authorities care enough to go and like drag these people out of their homes because most of these people are in their seventies and eighties. When Chernobyl happened, you know, this was their home and they, most of them are farmers. Their farms had been handed down for generations. What are they going to do? Just, they're not going to abandon their family home. So they went back um, and have lived there ever since. And some of them have not gotten sick and some of them have gotten sick. And uh, I don't know all that. That's above, above my. <laughs> above your Google grade. searching. <laughs> yeah. But, and I mean, I don't know many Ukrainian farm women, but I would imagine that they're pretty tough. Yeah. And a little radiation poisoning isn't going to yeah. stop them. So, um, and then just outside the exclusion zone, which is still pretty highly radioactive, there are don't go there. There are societies building up. And there's a show called Chernobyl Cafe, I think, that was a documentary also on HBO after the Chernobyl show. And it's like some people who work at Chernobyl and other people who live in the area, and they have this little cafe and they all meet and hang out and they're just living their best life. Um, and if you wanted to move there, you could buy a house in good condition for about 3,500 US dollars. So, I mean, that's a deal. That is such a deal. And a crappy shack that's been abandoned couldn't be bought for a few hundred bucks. Hmm. You could be a property owner. Seriously. <laughs> in this day maybe, and age. Maybe open a little Airbnb there. Great. <laughs> you know, you could work with the, the tourist crowd, those people that love to go visit Chernobyl. <laughs> You just have to remember no, that. But there are people can, that yes, go and visit. Yes. And we'll talk about that. But just know if you move there, you have to boil your water before okay. you can drink it. Okay. Most of these places don't have running water or electricity anymore. Okay. Because they don't, well, who's going to maintain that? Right. Like, <laughs> so, and whatever vegetables or meat you eat, is probably exposing you to a extremely harmful, if not lethal dose of radiation. Yeah. So I read a website that was talking to people who've moved to this area and basically being like, why would you move here? Yeah, <laughs> and that's a great question. One thing you don't understand is Ukraine, even before all of this happened in recent news, bombings and invasions and violence have been very common in many parts of Ukraine over many years. And so there's a lot of people who just got sick of it and they're like, where can we move that we're not going to get attacked or bombed? And most people, even crazy people, don't want to bomb Chernobyl because that could create a problem. So they're like, we're just going to move there. And yeah, dying of radiation poisoning for most is a slow process. So Right. It's better than getting bombed. It's yeah. kind of what they were saying. And I you can't really argue. Right. That point. Yeah, it's exactly in the, the voices of Chernobyl. Right? That's they equated it to war. So when yes. everybody came in, all the military people came in to take them out and said, look, yes, we'd rather die of this than have another war. This isn't that bad. So that's I, a really yeah. sad situation for these people. 
I guess the only other part I wanted to mention is that, like you said, tourism is becoming very popular in the area. And especially after that HBO show, um, now, you know, there are fans. I, I don't know Maybe what you would call them. Fan Fanatics. Sounds a little weird. So tours started being allowed in 2010. Um, which I, maybe that was after the sarcophagus was built. I'm not sure. Um, and Ukrainian officials just claim that radiation labels levels are fine. You're good. Don't worry about it. You can go, um, you can see the abandoned amusement park, which is a lot of the photos that you'll find online. Cause it's kind of creepy to see an abandoned like merry-go-round and, right. um, and you can go into the abandoned homes, which unfortunately a lot of stuff has been looted from because people will steal from anywhere <laughs> Even why, would you want that? why would you bring that home what's wrong with know. you <laughs> um, radioactive souvenir and you can go and see the reactor you can't clearly go into the reactor because it's blocked off right um but you can see a lot of stuff and you just can't you can't like stay there you can't stay for more than I think an hour, a couple hours. So it's a, it's a short tour because we want to get you out of there. Right. But if you want, I've seen, you can look these up and find them on TikTok, different people that post them and they're wearing like these, these like little, uh, I don't know, like pajamas, like over your little white suits. Yes. going to protect yes. you holding their little mo- like radiator radiation Geiger counter. Yes. The Geiger counters. I'm like, yes. walk around being like, look how radioactive this is. It's like, oh my God. Please. Yes. Please leave. Please just go home. It's a bad idea. Yes. And then just a couple little side notes, like shortly after the disaster, um, the area, the exclusion zone, those trees that I talked about, the red trees were all bulldozed and um, buried in the earth. Hmm. A lot of the animals, unfortunately were, um, eliminated mm-hmm, for yeah. fear of reproducing or leaving the area and spreading radiation. But since then, stuff is actually starting to grow back. Oh, and animals have come back because nice. nobody hunts them there. Well, that's true. So I think they said that they have noticed some genetic abnormalities in these animals that live in the area, but yeah. they're thriving, they're reproducing. Yeah. Plants are growing. So it's also kind of one of the first places, I think, where scientists have actually been able to see what happens when a place is affected by high doses of radiation like that. So it's still kind of an ongoing science project, but an experiment. Yes. Yeah. Some of the pictures, I don't recommend looking up that stuff. I mean, in theory, no, I want to go like, it sounds intriguing, but then I don't actually want to go. I don't want to go. No. It just, it's just so like macabre. Like it's so. I know. There's a lot of things I think I would find interesting, but I would find this very interesting, but it just seems like so weird to go and like find, you know, be a, tourists in this place where so many people's lives were ruined and people right. and, ho- and P- are still being ruined. People are yes. still dying of this. 
so it seems like a really weird tourist attraction for me. It's dangerous. Uh, Go near any radiation in my little white suit with a mask. It's not going to help you boil your water. Does that take care of radiation? I think so. No. Iodine tablets. Just take, pop a couple. You're fine. You're fine. A little vitamin C. Boost that immune system. Yeah, there you go. No, I'm not going. (laughs) No? Okay. I like my bone marrow. Thank you. Okay. Well, now we have to talk about the hard part, which is the death toll. So I didn't want to go too in depth because this can be gruesome. It is tough. So if people are interested, we can discuss this on another podcast. I can kind of go through what I found, but you know, just let us know. Yeah. Let us know. If you're interested in that, we'll happily do it happily. But I wanted we'll talk to keep about this almost anything. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anything to wants to discuss. We'll look it up for you. Yeah. Read about it. So don't waste your time. Just listen to us. Exactly. Well, no, I mean really, you're in your car, driving to work. Don't have to think about it. I mean, we'll this do it for is you. fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. <laughs> it's fun. Okay, so officially. Officially, the death count from the actual accident is 31. Of course, we know that the real toll of what this took on the environment of the people is much higher. There was an article that I read that discussed the different studies, and it estimated up to 93,000 deaths all across Europe when from then to, I mean, moving forward. So how do you die from radiation poisoning? I I wrote this, I wrote subtitle. It's the worst way to die. It affects every Uh part of your body. Of course, it depends on how much radiation you get, but it's all very bad. There are three phases. Uh, When you are initially exposed, like we were talking about earlier, you get nausea, vomiting, you get skin damage, like a bad sunburn or blisters, um, something that I read, the radiation tan. Ooh. Yeah. We shouldn't talk about that. Somebody will start a tanning salon. (laughs) (laughs) Called the radiation tan. It's super quick. Deep. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The tanning couldn't get worse. Uh, so you go from that stage where you're feeling you get nauseous, you got sunburn, whatever, bad sunburn. Then you experience like a latent stage where you see improvement and it looks like the person's getting better, but that's only for a couple of days. I think, uh, that's when you reach the overt or manifest stage, uh, the long-term effects are setting in. It mostly manifests in bone marrow and your gastrointestinal tract because these areas have rapidly dividing cells. In the gastrointestinal sickness, it basically liquefies the intestines, which releases cells and bacteria, like including stool cells, into the body. So you become like septic from the inside. Yeah. So yeah, you kind of melt. Yeah, like your insides. Like Yeah. Then there's the bone marrow 
atrophy, which causes infection, sepsis, and death. The cardiovascular system effects that are always fatal, and it leads to vascular collapse. Now, I looked up what this was, what vascular collapse is, and it's exactly what it sounds like. You have a heart attack, and then your veins collapse, causing death. So more melting from the inside. Yep. It's all causing death. It's all, it's all bad. Yeah. In this instance, those who were exposed with radiation sickness died about two weeks. So, of course, the most difficult types of casualties to pin down are the cancers and the cardiovascular and congenital issues of people in the area. So the children have a very high rates of thyroid cancer. Babies in these areas for many years have been born with, I mean, unimaginable health issues. What? Because you told me about it. I watched the Chernobyl Heart on YouTube and I cried the entire time. Chernobyl Heart is a documentary that came out in the early 2000s and it is a woman who goes around to all of these places in Belarus where the children were affected, you know, during their formative years, they were exposed to this high radiation and kind of what's happened to them since then. And I loved it, but I do not recommend it unless you're like, you have to be ready. Yeah. Because you know, these kids have deformities and heart issues and cancers and, um, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of charity groups now that are, you know, trying to help these groups, but it's just, it's so sad and it's, uh, it's no joke. Like it's, there's some authorities that tried to say like that that's not related. And I don't really know how you could. (laughs) I don't think you can say that. Well, I mean, mean, they said it. (laughs) Right. You know, yeah. we're not exactly geniuses over here. We put that together. Well, we are pretty smart. That is true. Um, mean, but but yeah, so a lot of the effects can't directly be linked to radiation poisoning because radiation is like an invisible killer for the most part, unless you're directly exposed to it. So, but if you're using common sense and logic, like it just makes sense that, oh, this huge group of people was exposed and they all seem to be experiencing this problem. It's weird. Strange. All the children in our neighborhood have heart defects. Yeah. So, but yes. definitely has nothing to do with it, though. Just so the, the official count is much lower than actual. Officially, it's nothing. But that's the thing. I've read it and watched a bunch of things, and it refers to the accidents being like, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Only 31 people died. It's not. It's not that bad, but let me tell you, we watched all the things. We read all the things. We cried a lot. We were traumatized. (laughs) Let me tell you, it is that bad. It is worse, worse than imaginable. Right. I can't imagine anything worse. So that's all I got. Okay. So sources. And I, I don't know if anyone's interested in this stuff, but. So after this disaster, which affected the world and this kind of some people credit this with the beginning of the fall of the Soviet Union, because this event really got the world to be like, what is going on over there? Like, What are they doing? And this started a chain reaction 
where they needed to create some sort of agency and some sort of regulation for safety in nuclear power plants, which again, you think, why didn't we know this before? But it was the 80s and we didn't know that we should do that. Yeah, no excuses there. But so I won't get into all the like dates and details, but basically a lot of legislation was passed. Um, Agencies were put in place to start to be more um, overseeing of these nuclear power plants. And the USSR was uh, told to modify, because they had other reactors that were similar to Chernobyl throughout parts of the USSR. And so they were told that you need to, you know, either decommission or modify these reactors so that this doesn't happen again, right? So many of them continued to work for years, uh, even after, like the other three reactors of Chernobyl worked for many years. They're now all decommissioned, but they um, continued to work, I think, into like 2000, something like that. But it was much longer than you would like to think. Um, And so, yeah, so now things are, there's a little more oversight, which is good to know. Again, we could get into more details, but I don't think that's super interesting. So what's happening today or what happened in February? So during the Russian, the beginning of the Russian invasion, one of the first places that Russian soldiers overtook was Chernobyl, which this created a total freak out, right? Because like, what are you going to do with this highly unstable (laughs) nuclear reactor? Right. And they were bombing it. Yes. To get control of it, they started bombing it. Yes. I mean, they didn't bomb the actual structure, but they were bombing around a little too close. Like the administrative building or something. Yeah. Oh, man. Now I think of those poor people who were trying to escape bombing and they're like, I live in a radiation zone and I'm being bombed. What the hell? Huh. Life's tough. Um, For those people. Yes. (laughs) God. So soldiers took it over and they held the plant hostage for over a month. So there were workers in there and there were soldiers guarding this plant because there's always been soldiers, I think, guarding Chernobyl to protect it. Um, These soldiers were locked in an underground bunker for 30 days and then they were taken away. And as last that I read, their whereabouts are still unknown. Oh, so those soldiers were taken to somewhere and I'm hoping it was Disneyland and that they're all fine. Um, (laughs) It wasn't. (laughs) So the soldiers also looted the facility, taking computers and personal belongings from the staff. Um, The staff was held hostage for a while, but eventually was allowed to switch out with another shift that then came in and was taken <laughs> over. But the problem was, what do you do? Like you work at a nuclear reactor that you know needs constant supervision or else it's going to explode and affect Europe. What do you do? But someone has to be working it. And these soldiers don't, you can't leave it know. to these Russian soldiers. Right. Oh my gosh. So again, very brave people doing yes. work that they should be commended for because I don't know many people that would do that. 
But the Ukrainians did regain control of the site um, since then. So the biggest issue that came about from this is while the soldiers were there, they were extremely irresponsible with the site. So remember I told you about the Red Forest and how this Mm -hmm. ground was very radioactive. They dug trenches in there. They drove tanks through there. They trudged Mm -hmm. through there, which means that this radioactive dust is being lifted and spread and it's on tanks. It's on your clothes. So everywhere you walk, it's like you're just spreading it around, just picking it up and taking it around. And all of this commotion increased radioactive levels in the area to about 20 times higher than they should be. So, I mean, luckily they don't think that the effect of that is going to be anything to worry about. I mean, again, this is what we're being told. It can't be good. Right. <laughs> right. That's what, they, what they say. <laughs> but they're hopeful that, I mean, the soldiers might get a little bit of sickness from their exposure, which, you know, oh, too, too bad, bad, but too bad for you, you know. guys. I know. But um, for the most part, they don't think that it's going to be a problem, but there was just a lot of stress of what was going to happen and what they were going to do. Yes. Um, so, yes. But now at least the last I heard all has been resolved and we have regained control. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. All right. So well, I think that about sums up real quick. Did you, what are your sources? Did you write down your sources? Are we going to share our sources? Um, I didn't write down the actual articles, but I got a lot of stuff off of livescience.com, okay. which I read quite a few articles. They have quite a bit on Chernobyl, which was fabulous. Um, there's actually a Chernobyl nuclear power plant website. I did look at that. That was kind of oh. fun. And then a lot of uh, the stuff I got about people who live there now was from um, bbc.uk. Okay. Um, they had quite a bit on that. And that those were some really great articles. And then history.com and Wikipedia, of course. But. Right. Yes. Yeah, I have a lot of Wikipedia. just went through hours of Google searches. Yeah, you did a real rabbit hole Interviews. Yeah, I truly did. I, it's probably too much. The HBO show, which we talked about. Uh, the Chernobyl Heart, which is on YouTube, which we talked about. Voices of Chernobyl book, which is very, very good. I got it from the library. Yay, libraries. Oh. Um, let's see. Oh, and I went to a, a website. It's called SlideShare. It's actually really cool. It's a bunch of... It's exactly what it sounds like. Slideshows that people put on this website that you can share. It's really neat. Hmm. YouTube, of course, some TikTok. Yeah, so okay. Very official thing. Very official. Very official. But yeah, so thank you guys for joining oh, wait. us. Hold up. TikTok. Let's talk about our social media. Well, that's what I was just going to lead into is that well, there so people, people can reach out to us. Um, tell us all the mistakes we made. No, <laughs> so, don't do that. Because <laughs> there were many. Um, oh, no, yeah. just email us if you have anything that you'd like for us to talk about. Um, How you liked it. What you liked, what you didn't like. Well, yeah, mostly tell thing. us what you love because we... Are very vain and insecure, and we need lots of <laughs> positive reinforcement. We do, we do. We take constructive criticism, but 
not just criticism, criticism. I don't even take the constructive criticism all that well. So (laughs) well, just the things you love then. Yes. And we'll post some pictures on our Instagram um, and our Facebook. Um, Anything we find that we think you might like about Chernobyl. If you feel like digging a little bit deeper, post all that. Share some videos that we, that we find, but here, let me tell you our social media as we go through it. So our Instagram is at, we should know that Twitter is at, we should know pod. And then our email, we should know that podcast at gmail.com. And we really hope you enjoyed it. You know, rate, review, subscribe. That's what they say, right? (laughs) Do all the things. Anyway, all right, we'll wrap this up. We'll let everybody go about their days. So yes, thank you so much. And uh, we will be back soon with something else. Hopefully something not quite as sad, but. I mean, maybe. I mean, a lot of history is very depressing. How should we sign off? I think it's just a goodbye. I, I don't know. I can't think of anything. Goodbye until next week.